All right, welcome to Journey Through Scripture, day 83. Today we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 16, verse 36, all the way through the end of chapter 18, as well as Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 32. Okay, so in Numbers 16, 36, we are still kind of in the in the middle of what's going on with Korah's rebellion, and we saw how God... Um, kind of put an end to the attempt of certain uh, a certain faction of Levites who essentially tried to usurp the priesthood and challenge uh, Moses and Aaron's legitimacy, at least to the exclusion of them, which essentially was the um, a challenge to the Lord's choice of Aaron and Moses. And um, so here we have uh, some a little bit more of the aftermath here, where... Um, where the the concern is, so so God has God has supernaturally judged these people who rose up against them, um, and now you have all of these incense censors that are um, that are left, and they've all been and they've all become holy, and so um, Eliezer, um, Aaron's son, is to take them and to have them hammered into covering for the altar um, as a as a sign that uh, for Israel that that no outsider is to come and attempt to do this again so it's like this ban on people who are not authorized by the Lord to come near and to offer incense and do other priestly duties um, so the next day, however, and again, this just testifies to the to the persistence of of this this spirit of, of rebellion uh, that is among the people. The next day, they grumble against Moses and Aaron, and they say what they say is kind is patently ridiculous. You have killed the people of Yahweh. Um, like, are we aware of what just happened? The earth just opened up and swallowed the ringleaders into it. Um, the fire came out from the Lord, consuming the 250 men who had followed them. There's no way that this is Moses and Aaron going rogue on God and, and killing God's people. This is the Lord judging their sin. This is the Lord bringing um, their iniquity upon them. And so they assembled against Moses, and as they do this, um, the glory of the Lord appears, and um, a plague begins to go out among the people. And Moses tells Aaron, go get your censer and get some fire from the altar and some incense. This would have been from the, the golden altar inside the sanctuary, and carry it out among the people to make atonement for them. This is kind of... Uh, this is unprecedented, right? This is like uh, kind of like if you read the rest of the the Torah, you'd be like, "Oh, is, is that okay?" This seems like this last ditch kind of hail mary to um, uh, to, to to try to deal with what is happening now, and uh, perhaps it is because of Moses's uh, stature before the Lord, his intimate relationship before the Lord, that. Um, he can come up with such ad hoc solutions to what the what's going on, um, but yeah, um, he does this, and indeed they um, the plague is stopped, but not before a rather large number of people 
um, cataloged here as 14,700 are killed on that day. Um, it's, it's hard to imagine more blatant things that the Lord could be doing at this point to try to instill in his people uh, true faith in him, true understanding that, look, this is how things are. This is, if you want to be mine and you should want to be mine, I, I'm the Lord of all creation. I am going to bless you beyond what you can possibly imagine, but you need to listen to me. You need to do what I say. You 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 should not be just constantly questioning the the what I've what I've given to you, what I've established here, and whom I've chosen to lead. That's my choice. All these things are my choices. You are my people. Devote yourselves to keeping my statutes and commandments, and I will take care of you. I will bless you. But if you don't, then that is very serious thing, and it's hard to imagine. As I said, God instilling this with any more obviousness. And just to, to, to show them again, the next day they are they're commanded to bring staffs. Now, the language here is a little bit puzzling to me because it says bring staffs from your father's houses. And we've talked about the Israelite social division before that you have the tribes, the 12 tribes, and under those you have clans. Um, and within the clans, you have father's houses. Um, so one would expect there to be just like tons and tons of staff, but when they're actually brought in verse six, um, there's 12 of them. So it seems that father's houses is being used perhaps to denote tribal, um, affinity. So I'm not quite clear on like how to square that, but at any rate, that's, um, that's, that's what happens. So they all bring their staves. And they're placed before the Ark of the Covenant in the tent. And uh, the next day when they come, Aaron's staff and Aaron's only, whose staff is there for the tribe of Levi, has sprouted buds, blossoms, and ripe almonds from it as just this other indication that, that the Lord is confirming that, yes, this is indeed the one whom I've chosen to stand before me. Um and it just it just goes to talk goes to kind of like inform our um our our tendency to sometimes try to want to like modify what god has said and say well like god wants it to be this way god has said taken the priority and 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 given us certain commands certain instructions certain ways that he expects us to live but eh, you know what i'll just go and do my own thing no God has given us a lot of freedom. Remember, in the garden, you may eat of any fruit that you want, um, but just from this one tree, you may not eat. We're not free to ignore those parameters, um, even if there's some way, just like Eve did, right, that you could look at the fruit and say, you know what, it is desirable. Why, why doesn't God want me to have that, right? It's all basics, kind of like back to the garden kind of stuff, and... and um, you know, the, and so this is God showing his people, yes, indeed, I mean business. Yes, indeed, this is the way it's going to be if you want to be mine. You will be happy and joyful and blessed, but you need to listen to me when I tell you how you are to draw near to me and who it is who is authorized to draw near to me. Uh, this, of course, becomes very important when we get to the New Testament and we talk about salvation being in Christ alone, right? God's very clear that this way and not that way. 
This is the way in which I have chosen to deal with your sin. And if you want your sin dealt with, this is how you must handle it. So the staff of Aaron that is budded is then placed back before the Lord. And um, and the people actually despair at the end of chapter 17. We are undone. We are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of Yahweh shall die. Are we all to perish? That's not the message that God wants to take at all, right? The, the whole thing is establish the Levites, establish the priests to keep them away from the sanctuary, and so that when they do draw near, they draw near in a way that is acceptable to the Lord. Um, but even this, this note of despair, just indicates how unwilling they were to accept the terms that the Lord has provided. Then in chapter 18, the Lord speaks to Aaron, and he tells him, You and your sons shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary and your priesthood, which uh, indicates like you bear the responsibility for any uh, transgressions and things like that. You're the ones who are to deal with that. And um, we see uh, um, like kind of like what that means in verse 22, where it talks about like the common people coming near and having to bear their sin and they die. So the ones who are equipped to bear iniquity are the priests, the ones who are unable to do so and who can only do so with payment of their lives are the people, the common people. And so there has to be this strict distinction. So that distinction is reinforced in this chapter. Um, it talks about <clears throat> a lot about how the Levites have been given to them to guard the people, so that they. Uh, but but the Levites are not to come uh, are not to come near to the holy things. Even the Levites have to stand. Right. This is the lesson that Korah and those in his rebellion refused to accept. Uh, no outsider shall come near. And then the Lord starts talking, and he finishes this chapter with um, the, the perpetual dues that are given to the priests. So they don't have any inheritance in the land. Uh, none of the Levites do. The Levites are given cities, um, but in terms of like a tribal allotment and just like this normal life that all the other Israelites are going to be living, that's not them. They're dedicated to the Lord. And so... Uh, with, except, with the exception of the most holy things, the things that are, quote, reserved for the fire, that is, the, the portions that are to be given to the Lord, the Lord's food offerings, as it is, as they are called, the well, offerings by fire in Hebrew, the Isha. Um, the, um, the, the, with the exception of those things, they are given provisions from the sacrifices and the offerings and the tithes and stuff like that that the people bring. And provision here for priests and for the Levites is mentioned. As for the priests, from the grain offerings, the sin offerings, the guilt offerings, they may have food. Um, they must eat it in a most holy place. Also, the wave offerings are given. Now, this is said to be given to the whole family. There are some wave offerings that are reserved only for male priests. But in general, those uh, these wave offerings, um, and indeed also the first fruits that come. So we wonder, like, what do you do when? What do you do with all the first fruits when you bring them? Well, those are gifts to the priests, um, and anyone in their houses may eat them. This, uh, this goes for the firstborn as well. Okay, everybody, uh, ex of course, not the people. They're not like given as slaves or anything. Those are redeemed back. The same with unclean animals. Those are redeemed back. It's not like those can be given to priests for consumption. Um, 
and um, yeah, and, and a lot of this this meat is is theirs. This is also called. We're reminded of this term that we saw in Leviticus two thirteen. Uh, it's called a um, a covenant of salt, right? Uh, this is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for your offspring after you. And I, I mentioned then that the salt's preserving quality um, is often understood to be part of the meaning of this, that that this idea of a perpetual covenant, a covenant in salt is to be is to be made. Uh, the other thing that I think is um, also interesting about the use of salt in covenantal rituals here is that um, remember, recall that blood cannot be offered on the altar. And indeed, salt would have been used in order to extract all of the blood from the sacrifices. So that's another reason why um, you have this kind of language of covenant of salt in the Bible. And uh, God reminds them, right, you have no inheritance among the people. I am in, am your inheritance. And this idea of this, this ministry being given to them as a as a gift, like we see in 18 verse 7, is is emphasized here, that, that the Lord has graciously allowed you this closeness with him that nobody else has. And um and this is this is me being gracious to the Levites and to my priests. Um the Levites uh their gifts are delineated as as from the tithes of Israel. So the Israelites were to contribute a tenth of what the Lord gives them. And that's what a tithe means. It is a tenth. And here, they're told to tithe from their tithe. So the Levites get the tithes, and they also must tithe. Um, but these, these tithes, um, because they're not you know, holy offerings, sacrificial offerings, they can be eaten anywhere um, by the Levites and by the priests, um, and you don't bear any sin as a result of that. However, be sure not to profane the holy things. That's what you need to be careful of. Okay, so that's it for numbers today. Let's go ahead and take a look at Matthew chapter 5. So in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching, and uh, he's he's um, uh, gather, he's surrounded by this, this huge crowd, and he's in a house, and so it's very difficult to get to him. And um, a bunch of men bring a man, a friend of theirs, who is paralyzed, and try to bring him before Jesus. And when they can't get in... They get the idea to go up onto the roof and to make an opening in the top of the roof and to let their friend down through the offering. And when Jesus sees this, he takes a look at this this guy and just to show like the, the priority that Jesus has, right? He looks at him and he doesn't, he did, the first thing he says is not get up and walk. It's your sins are forgiven, and uh, indeed, we've seen the focus on the forgiveness of sins um, connected with the Davidic Messiah in the introductory speeches of the book of Luke. And here we see this again, this Jesus, Jesus who is, his, is here for, and he definitely has a mission to the poor, but make no mistake, it is for the forgiveness of sins. It is not just for, you know, uh, uh, give doing healings, providing things for people. Uh, it is that. The kingdom of God is not disconnected from that, but it is the forgiveness of sins that Jesus, that is the primary focus of Jesus's mission. And as we saw in both Matthew and Mark, uh, the Pharisees um, 
hear this as blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone, right? Who is this that's, that claims to be able to take the prerogative for the forgiveness of sin, where, whereas this is something that God does? And, um, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, um, asks them, which is easier, to say that your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And then, again, prioritizing this, um, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he looks at the man who's paralyzed and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So you see this controversy over forgiveness of sins as a matter of authority. Who has the authority? Whom has God authorized to be able to forgive sins? And and being that we've just, we've just been talking about this idea of a, of being God's authorized people to do certain things, especially to for, affect things like forgiveness and atonement, we see that this is a big deal, and we see how much this surpasses what even the priests are authorized to do, right? Like, they, they can do the sacrifices, and they can perform those rituals, and uh, people's sins do get forgiven because of that. But it's not their initiative. It's not their own um, just hanging out with someone and saying your sins are forgiven, right? This is there are these elaborate rituals that have to take place. And here, Jesus surpasses all of that and simply is able to declare on God's behalf, in the place of God here, your sins are forgiven. And this this perplexes these men. And um and and to show that this authority is his, he says, Rise, pick up your bed and walk, which the man in fact, does. And uh, the response is, he goes home glorifying God. And those who saw this, um, the majority of them, and I don't know, it doesn't really distinguish the Pharisees very much. In fact, that's they're kind of the them in this passage. They go home glorifying God, filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. It's a little hard to differentiate and to say for sure, like, you know, how many of them are, are, are Think, come out of this thinking that he's a blasphemer. How many of these come out somewhat convinced or at least perplexed by this sign and awestruck? Uh, hard to say, but that is the effect here. And then after that, we see Jesus uh, passing by a tax collector named Levi. This is uh, the same individual who's elsewhere called Matthew, and he's sitting at a tax tax booth, and Jesus comes up to him. Again, it's hard to know what kind of prior relationship that they had, um, but he just tells him, follow me, and Matthew leaves everything and follows him, which is extraordinary for tax collect- you know, for a tax collector who's kind of like regarded as these chief examples of sinners, right? And, and we see this in response to this call of Jesus, Levi throws, who's apparently a man of some wealth, um, he throws Jesus this large feast at his house with other tax collectors there, um, uh, as, and some others as well, and um, and the the Pharisees and scribes start grumbling at the disciples about this. It's hard to know if it's on the same occasion or a different occasion, um, or what the setting of the grumbling is uh, regard to the feast. Was it after? Was it during? Were they part of the crowd there? And uh, they ask, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" And Jesus answers them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Again, let me emphasize the priority of forgiveness, of dealing with sins, of uh, repentance in Jesus's ministry here. Luke, as I've mentioned, is very concerned with kind of social uh, justice type stuff, um, you know, properly conceived, of course. Uh, the, the provision for the poor, the provision for the, the meek and the downtrodden and, and the humble and things like that. Um, but here you have uh, an extremely, perhaps we could say, privileged elite, the tax collectors, people who had gained and often gained through dishonest means. And Jesus is justifying hanging out with them and essentially portraying himself as a physician who is here to heal them. And of course, the irony here is that uh, there really isn't anyone who's righteous, whom Jesus, whom Jesus could call, right? That everyone has their sin. It's just that some people, in particular those who are um, singled out in their communities, are more aware of it. And um, we'll see this also uh, in this episode in Luke 7, Another thing where Luke really emphasizes this, the, the, the woman who's uh, the quote-unquote sinful woman, right, who comes and wipes Jesus' feet with her te- tears and her hair, uh, but we're not there yet. But yeah, so a lot today on this priority of forgiveness, this priority of Jesus not just coming for the poor, but also, interestingly, of course, coming for the wealthy, coming for those, even those who have gained their wealth by unjust means. Okay, uh, baby's crying upstairs, and we're about done with today, so I'm going to cut it off here. Thanks again for joining me. It's always my pleasure to share uh, some insights with you that the Lord lays on my heart. And uh, until tomorrow, take care, and bye-bye.